Okay. Some know and some don't. I see. So, some know, some don't. And among those that do, some know a little bit. And, and some know a lot. And I don't know much of anything, but... Pero. By your good association and your interest in the subject matter of spiritual life, I'll turn to this uh, uh, very famous text about experiential spiritual life. I'll turn to it. I'm going to go to it. I'm going to read from it. And um, see if something helpful doesn't uh, come from it that can help us uh, understand the nature of the spiritual. Uh, that's an interesting subject. And uh, there are many ideas about what constitutes the spiritual. And so I think that it would be useful for us to look to a, a text like the Bhagavad Gita that has a long, long history of, uh, of a following that has produced saintly people. Of course, um, one could say that, that the, uh, the Bible has also produced many, many saints. And so it also might be a book to turn to. And one that people in the Western and world and Southern world are probably more familiar with. So let me first say something about the difference between these two texts, the Bhagavad Gita and the Bible. First of all, the, uh, the, the title Bhagavad Gita, it means the Song of God. So from the start we learn that God sings. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's mentioned, that's mentioned in the Bible. But uh, seriously, the, uh, there, is a, there are some basic differences between the two texts. 
The Bible, I would say, uh, characteristically, is more of a book about believing. It asks us to believe the testimony of others. About a miraculous act that is thought to have far-reaching theological implications. Now, the Bhagavad Gita from the East, it uh, is more of a uh, doctrine about the nature of being than it is about believing. So it has a, a considerably more a philosophical content. Comparatively also, uh, comparatively also, the Bhagavad, the, the, the Bible uh, tends to equate moral adherence uh, to the uh, with the essence of spirituality. By contrast, the Bhagavad Gita uh, while advocating a morally upright life emphasizes the idea that spiritual life transcends morality. En cambio, el Bhagavad Gita, aún uh, aconsejando una vida correcta y moral, también nos dice que existe una vida espiritual que trascende eh, la moralidad. So there's some differences. About the moral life, a propósito de la vida moral, it pertains only to this world. And what the moral life constitutes is something that is subject to change over time. For, for example, in our present time, we are faced with an environmental crisis. That brings up moral and ethical concerns that in times when we were not in a, such an environmental crisis were not uh, 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 relevant. Mm -hmm. Let me say this also. 
There are moral laws and there are moral principles. The laws can change. But in principle, we, the idea is that we should live in the world in an ethically and morally sound way. But again, exactly what that means may change slightly from uh, century to century, decade to decade. Thus, it's reasonable to uh, suggest that because the moral law is subject to change, hmm, it doesn't constitute the sum and substance or the essence of an eternal spiritual reality that, that would be changeless by contrast. The spiritual essence is something that should be true in all circumstances. Give him this, this, yeah. Okay. Welcome. Thus, uh, uh, because the moral law is subject to change, and what is moral today and ethical today might not, might not be ethical and moral tomorrow, moral law cannot be the sum and substance of spirituality. It's something that is to be determined on an ongoing basis. And it should be determined in conjunction with uh, sacred texts, for example, and reason. Mm -hmm. Therefore, as I say, the moral law is not the sum and substance, or the essence, the pinnacle of spiritual life. And the Bible deals primarily with this. We've gone in a different direction. Slightly. The Gita, as I say, on the other hand, makes more or less this very point. That the moral life is not the sum and substance of spiritual life. Rather, the uh, moral life is uh, thought to be something like 
life in a cage. If you catch a wild animal and you want to tame it, then, then you put him in a cage. Right? Then you give a little some food and, and gradually you open the door. So, in human life, we have an animal side to us, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But we're supposed to be a little different from the animals. For example, if you see a, a good-looking woman or man in the mall here in Escazú, you don't just jump on them. You laugh, but... So we have some moral sensibilities mm-hmm. that the animals don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and these moral sensibilities, they, they come to us from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Really, mostly they come uh, from, with the introduction of religion into human society. And um, uh, that introduction of religion into society is is brought to us primarily by uh, saintly persons. Whose moral character is good, admirable, and who at the same time appear to have some inner experience that even a moral human does not have access to. It's one thing to be a morally upright person, another thing to, you know, to, to die on the cross and to uh, not complain about it. Mm-hmm. So, there's a hint there in the Bible <laughs> that spiritual life extends beyond moral adherence. But it doesn't tell us much about what that more is. It more or less tells us to, to believe in a miracle. Hmm? And on the basis of that, be moral. It's a start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
But I think if you look more carefully at the teaching, the idea there also is that you should become a miracle. For example, to be Christian is, is to be Christ-like. We've got some distance to go. Even if we are morally uh, perfect. Hmm. Now the Gita, as I say, by contrast, it, it begins by differentiating essential spiritual life from the moral life. It wants to teach us about life outside of the cage, so to speak. We are coming into human life, it says, from animal life. We have animal side to us. Hmm? And something more. Hmm? We have some sense that there is more to us than what meets the eye and the mind. When I say eye and mind, I mean the life of the senses. What is the life of the senses? It's a life in which we identify with the biological and psychological uh, complex that we call Costa Rican, American, uh, North American, Central American, man, woman. That identification uh, with uh, the body-mind complex produces a sense of self. Mm -hmm. um, for example, if uh, it is pleasing to your senses and your mind to listen to a certain type of music, then you will tend to identify with those types of people that make that type of music. And you may adopt behaviors and clothing and, and whatnot that's similar to those people. Mm -hmm. According to our attachments, our desires, a sense of I arises. Do you follow me? Hmm? If I am attached to Central America, in this area, then I think I am Costa Rican. Hmm. So, 
our sense of what is mine creates a me or an I. Mm -hmm. The problem with this, of course, is that nothing is ours. So the I that arises out of our sense of my is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have happies, sads, goods, bads, hots, colds, the Gita teaches that all of these sensibilities are a product of our uh, senses and the impulses that we get from tasting, from seeing, from touching that are relayed to the mind, wherein the mind makes the determinations, good, bad, happy, sad, uh, um, hot, cold, so as I speak like this about the teaching of the Gita, I'm speaking to you, as I said earlier, about the fact that the Gita is more of a book about the nature of being than it is about merely believing. Instead of asking us to believe in something, it tries to answer a question, what am I? Yeah, why, why am I? Hmm. As I'm mentioning, the Gita explains that my sense of I to begin with is illusory. So, it suggests that we change our angle of vision. For example, to thinking that nothing is mine. That might sound uncomfortable. <laughs> nothing belongs to me. But there will also be an I that arises out of that. For me to say that nothing belongs to me, there has to be a me. And so this is the I that we are interested in because it's based on a truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
the Gita teaches that a method by which we can, we can become acquainted with this I it uh, as I'm speaking about it it, it it suggests to us that we have to step back somewhat from the world and be an objective observer attachment to something does doesn't allow us to see it objectively. Do you understand? Right. Mm-hmm. You get you're too attached to something, you have a bias, a prejudice. Mm-hmm. You can't see it for what it is. Mm-hmm. So we're suggested to, to Stop thinking that things belong to us. They don't. Step back and observe the world from a detached perspective. It says to us that we are observing and the world is constantly changing. And the fact that we can observe the change indicates that there's a difference between ourselves and the world of transformation. Because if you are part of a transformation, you cannot observe it. I gave the example the other night. If a plane is flying high in the sky, fast, and I'm standing here, I can see the change of its movement. But if I'm in the plane and going 700 miles an hour, I'm part of the change and it seems like I'm just sitting there. It's just an example to illustrate the point. As much as we are separate from the change, we can observe the change. Mm-hmm. So to step back and observe the change is to understand that, in a basic sense, that I, the real I, am different from the world of transformation. What does a transformation mean? It means that things are here today and they're gone manana. Hmm. But if I am not part of that change, then I'm not something that's here today and gone tomorrow. So the Gita teaches that there is a self. And it's not bound by time and space. 
que no está limitado por tiempo y espacio. Therefore, it's never born and it never dies. Que nunca nació y nunca va a morir. You find that interesting? Hmm? So this is just a little bit of how the Gita speaks about the nature of being. It gives us a different angle of vision. It opens our eyes to something that's right before us that we couldn't see. And it does this in the first six chapters. The book consists of 18 chapters. So the first six chapters are about you. Sounds good. Read a book about myself. <laughs> And it tells you something very wonderful about yourself. It says you are magical. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That you 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 transcend uh, description by words. You transcend uh, thought. Just like I can say you're eternal. But that doesn't convey the experience. It's an, it's an attempt to try to put into words something that is beyond words that is about you. Sometimes today materialistic people they, 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 they accuse uh, religious people of having magical thinking. And magic, of course, is, uh, well, magic. Mm -hmm. They have taken the magic out of life. Mm -hmm. They have, uh, they are advocating a dis disenchanted uh, universe. Disenchanted universe. But let me ask you something. If I was to say to you that um, if, if you uh, play football and you pay close attention hmm? and you pay very close attention to playing and kicking the ball then it's possible over time that the ball will say to you uh, that hurts you will think that's a little crazy that's a little silly that is magical thinking This is what materialism says. Do you understand? Yes. It says there is only matter. Mm -hmm. And at some point, 
in time. We don't know when and we don't know how. Hmm? Matter starts to talk to us. Starts to have feelings. Hmm? That which is non-experiential becomes experiential. That is magical thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It means that the idea is that somehow, you see, the brain is no different than a soccer ball, football. It's the same basic ingredients. Combined in a different way so that the football talks. Just mm. say, if I had a football for a brain, would it ever talk? Mm. Oh, this, is, this is magical thinking. Mm. The point of the Bhagavad Gita is that there is something called matter which is non-experiential reality. And there's something called consciousness that is the theater of experience. And the two are different. How different are they? As different as experience is from non-experience. Very different. Hmm? And the Gita also teaches that experience will never arise out of non-experience. This is not magical thinking. <laughs> This is very much uh, common sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Therefore, sometimes it's considered that all of the intellectual and philosophical arguments of uh, naturalism, physicalism, or materialism are really uh, arise at, uh, out of a problem with 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 moral sensibilities. In Because if there is a self constituted of consciousness that's independent of matter, that's now involved with matter and giving it meaning, then the means to realize it that experience that involves an ethically and morally sound life 
and more. La manera para tener la experiencia de lo que le estoy diciendo involucra una vida moral y algo más. It 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 involves the idea that there is a supernatural. Implica una idea del supernatural. Um, there is some someone to answer to, so to speak. There's meaning, there's purpose uh, in an overarching sense to life. You cannot just make it up as you go along. The world has a dharma, a nature. Hmm? that we have to understand and conform to and, and, and in order that we, we might know our, our place in it all. I don't mean to say that materialistic people are necessarily immoral. Some of them are more moral than religious people. But but the the argument that an experiential reality comes out of a non-experiential reality it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Pero esto de decir que una realidad que no tiene experiencia and arguably there's a psychological condition hmm? in a person that causes them to identify with reasoning along those lines the psychology of one who reasons otherwise, like the Gita reasons, that I am consciousness, not matter, that I am eternal, I was never born, I don't die, that there is a spiritual reality. This psychology doesn't really have a problem with... Um, with uh, authority in principle. Hmm? It may reject false authorities, of course, but, hmm? but the idea that there's authority, that there, there's, a, there's a meaning, there's a purpose, that uh, I have some ob obligation. Hmm? I have some duty to perform. I'm a part of something greater and and my meaning derives from identifying with the whole and playing my part and so forth. At any rate, whatever the case, why people believe what they believe, my point about the Gita's teaching is that it is, in the beginning, a 
a teaching on the nature of being. And it's a reasonable one that it gives us hope. Y es una idea que nos da it's very flattering. Muy Let me give a comparison there. The Gita says that you are amazing. You are beyond words and thought. And materialism says you're a machine. Now, you could create reasons as a machine to have a moral life, but there's no necessity for you to do so. There's no ultimate reason. There's no consequence if you don't. There might be some relative consequences. Somebody might turn you off or something like that. Some other machine. So. But at any rate, it's not a very flattering um, uh, explanation of yourself. It, it, it doesn't give you a lot of hope. But then, who cares for a life of false hope? But why should we think that it's false? When the persons who introduce these kinds of ideas, whether they do it in a more simplistic way, as in the Bible, for example, hmm? or in a more detailed methodological and philosophical way like we find in the Gita, these persons like Jesus, like, like uh, Francis, the Assisi, oh, the Chaitanya, Krishna, these people stand in it on the shore. Hmm? Like a towering lighthouse. To all of us lost in the ocean of material emotions. We were riding on the waves of this ocean and thinking, this is good, this is bad, this is happy, this is sad, I like this, I don't like that. Sometimes, ooh, I have to drink water. <laughs> All these ideas hmm, of the self constitute a, a, a drowning person. Hmm. There's no hope for that self. Hmm. Hmm. 
that sense of self, ayur harati vaipum sam ujjanastam jayanaso. It is said in the sequel to the Gita, the theological sequel, the Bhagavat, that every day the sun is rising and setting. That's a big thing that happens every day, right? You can't miss it. But we don't even think about it, practically. Hmm? A little bit. Hmm? Hmm? But what is it saying to us? The, 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 the mystics, they, they have a, a reading of nature. This is a poem. With the rising and the setting of the sun, yourself, made up of, I like this, I don't like that, this is good, this is bad, this is happy, this is sad. With the rising and the setting of the sun, that self is being killed. Life is being taken away. It's beautiful to sit and watch the sunrise and the sunset. And what it's saying is, I'm killing you. <laughs> As you know yourself to be. And there's no hope. There's no hope. You know, a lot of the sacred texts of the past from the Hindus, the ancient texts, are thought to be mythological. And there's some truth to that. And in fact, the way in which we find meaning is often is through myth. But those who dismiss the myths of the sacred texts of the Hindus, for example, as being something not worth following, live themselves in a modern, the modern myth of salvation through science. That is the myth of today's world. So we will attain salvation through science. Now you look at the two myths. In the myth of the Bhagavad Gita or the Bhagavad, there will be salvation through a methodology, you could call it a science, a methodology of yoga and spiritual practice. You will be saved from birth and death. Because you will realize you were never born and you never die. Mm. 
and upon realizing that, hmm, there are many implications of that as well. That's just the beginning. I say you are eternal. It doesn't end there. What possibilities lie then in eternality? Now we don't experience eternality. There are so many constraints on our lives. We feel they shouldn't be there. We feel we should be able to do whatever we want. The birds know they can only fly. Fish know they can only swim. Humans think we should fly. And we should be able to swim to the bottom of the ocean. Why do we think like that? Because in human life, the Atma, the Self, the Soul, Alma, is coming to the surface. Hmm? It's a unit of freedom. Hmm? In human life, it has some responsibility with its freedom. It's, res it's responsible to be kind to others. That's not asked for or mandated in, uh, in, uh, in, in animal life. Hmm? Some little bit may be there. Hmm? The more that developed the form, the more it facilitates the experience of the self, consciousness. In human life is very prominent. Hmm. We are in a human dress, but our soul is loudly speaking about what it is. We feel we should be able to fly in the sky, go to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, we try to do so with planes and submarines. And, but the method to realize those possibilities is not a material method. Is a spiritual method. This is another thing that is given in the Gita and emphasized that we don't find to the same extent in the Bible. It's not so much about believing but about the nature of being. And while there is an element of believing that's asked for, there's a method and a practice that's very detailed as well by which practicing we can experience what it's talking about. And so the story there, if you will, 
is is that that you can realize that you are different from matter, that you live forever, you never were born. Hmm? And all the constraints of material life have no ultimately no bearing on you. What kind of life then would you have in eternity? What kind of possibilities? We put it like this. It is teaching that in eternality, in that in that world, in the super subjective world, the word impossible is not found in the dictionary there. When the sacred texts of the Hindus talk about the deepest reach of that realm, it may sound a bit fantastic to us. But we are living in a fantasy. Hmm? That I am this body. Hmm? That is a fantasy. Hmm? Hmm? That I have to live with all these constraints of time and space. Mm -hmm. So, in the in the story, if you will, of the Gita, it's a good story. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's a method of salvation, if you will. And in the modern society, there's also a story. It's just a story. Mm -hmm. When I say I say it's a story, it's not something that you can you can prove objectively. You cannot prove materialism to be true. You cannot prove spirituality as we're talking about it to be true. The soul will not show up in the court of the senses and the intellect, much less God. The very beginning point is that the self, to speak of its source, the Godhead, transcends reason. That's good news. So reason is not the faculty unto itself by which the self will be known. Entonces la razón no es la facultad a través de la cual simplemente nos vamos a, a conocer. So it's a good story anyway. Modos, es una historia buena. Mm -hmm. We say it can be experienced. De, de que podemos tener la experiencia. Mm -hmm. But you can only share the experience by your enthusiasm for it. Pero una experiencia que solo se puede compartir con nuestro entusiasmo para ella. And as much as that compels other people to take up a method by which they can experience it. Hasta que los demás también se sientan entusiasmados y obligados a, a, a embarcarse en esta, en esta experiencia en ellos mismos. This very beginning point that I, there's a real I and that I is different from matter. 
It changes the whole game as to what is possible. Let me give you an example. What is the difference between water and ice? What can you do with water? What can you do with ice? You could make water cold. But with water? What are the possibilities of water? Hmm? Our material condition is something like ice. You have to become water. What are the possibilities of water? Water can make fire. Did you know? <laughs> you think they are opposites, fire and water. Water makes fire. La fuerza del agua, I should say. Por ejemplo, tenemos una finca in Guanacaste y tenemos luz con la fuerza del agua, una turbina en el río, ¿me entiendes? Generator de luz. Anyway, muchas posibilidades con agua. Y las posibilidades de ice. Hielo. Es un poquito en comparación. So, the story of the Gita about yourself, the story about you, it's a very happy story. So much prospect it gives you. So much hope. And there are people who have who have realized that hope, they stand, like I said, like lighthouses on the shore. And they have, these people are the most important people in human history. They will never be forgotten, these people. They are not standing on just some false hopes. They're standing on the ground of being. And showing the light, showing the way. Not by just by some teaching, but by their personal example. They are morally correct and more, much more. Now, in comparación, comparación, tenemos el story de de hoy. What is the story? Salvation through science. By science, we will solve all the problems and including death. Hmm? This is the 
This is the, the, the myth, the story. You cannot prove that. This is the story. And the hope. But now look at it carefully. It's telling you that, that through science you can attain salvation. What is the nature of that salvation? Through science you can realize that you are a robot. A machine. Machina. And that and that do you want to live in that world? <laughs> Is that even desirable to be saved? Hmm? Look at the comparison of the two stories. Hmm. And in the modern myth, there's no example. On the spiritual side, we have so many examples. Yes, they are few, but there are some. <laughs> and neither is the attainment of the spiritual reality a, a cheap thing. Maintain it. So, in the Gita, these basic ideas are given in the first six chapters. It's a dissertation on the nature of being, and it's a very upbeat and hopeful one. And after it dedicates six chapters to talking about us, about you and me, what we are, and what matter is and how it's different from us, and Krishna speaking it, in the middle six chapters, then Krishna starts speaking about himself. So, we should be pretty interested in him by now. <laughs> we have reason now to believe. We are not asked just to believe because somebody said, I saw a miracle. A dozen people said they saw a miracle. Krishna has already told us from the beginning, you are a miracle. You will rise from the dead. Indeed. Indeed. You don't die. And some explanation of how what he means by that. What are you? And what is death? What is death? Hmm? It's just a change of scenery. Why is it a problem? Because of attachment. Because you 
are attached to something that you cannot keep. Because everything in matter is transforming. It's like, you know, musical chairs or something. And you're out. You know. Death is a problem because of our attachment. Attachment is ignorance. So how to solve death? There's some by knowledge you can solve it. And knowledge informs action. So with the right knowledge you can perform the right action. By which you'll have no attachment. Which will make death no problem and put you put you in the best position to begin to love. What is love? It is about giving. Mm-hmm. If I'm attached to someone, I see them as something for me rather than to see them for what they are. You intend this? Hmm? So, how, what kind of love is that? That's not love. Hmm? I want them to be something other than they are. And I call it love. Hmm? So, healthy detachment that comes from wisdom and the appropriate action that that wisdom informs is the first step in being a lover. So the Gita in the first six chapters it's teaching us about this detachment. It's preparing us to be a lover. Mm-hmm. You understand what I mean? Just like if a politician is attached and compromised by the corporate world, then he cannot love all the people. Mm-hmm. Right? So detachment and objectivity that comes from the, such detachment, mm-hmm. this corresponds with knowledge. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about detachment, knowledge, and then love. So a wise love. 
Entonces estamos, estamos hablando de amor a través del de, eh, conocimiento y desapego. Entonces es un, es un tipo de amor sabio. Now we are trying to love, but we are in ignorance. Ahora estamos tratando de amar, pero en ignorancia. The symptom of which is our attachments. Y el síntoma es, son los apegos. Hmm? And rather than being givers, we're looking at everybody who we, to, to take something from so that we can feel more whole. This is very self-centered. Uh, mm-hmm. Love is not is different. Mm-hmm. It's all about giving. Mm-hmm. It's not about getting, it's about giving. Mm-hmm. So real so n- in, within real love knowledge is found also. In only the shadow of love, then there is the ignorance of attachment. So the first six chapters of the Gita, they are really properly understood, they're preparing us to be a lover. And in the seventh chapter, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. The perfect object of love is brought into the picture. Who is that? The person Krishna who is giving you the wisdom about yourself to begin with. By this time we really want to meet him. <laughs> He is very wise hmm? and very compassionate to take the time to tell us about ourselves. Hmm. And he says many, many uh, interesting uh, uh, things about himself. Very self-complimentary. He says, everything comes from me. I am the source of everything. That sounds a little, well, I don't know about that. We might think a little draconian. But let me give you an example. Someone told one of my students, he said, in, I'm a Christian. Yo soy and in our religion, religion, we have the real God. El Dios. And just see the example that he sets. Y ese es el que le, que le dio. Our God is Jesus. Dios es, es and he is the personification of sacrifice. In your religion, en la de the God is Krishna. And he is a taker, an enjoyer, not a sacrificer and a giver. So it's obvious that we have the real God, then you have the false God. So when that was presented to me, I said, you should tell him that Jesus is a great sacrificer. 
Who is he sacrificing for? Pero para quién es ese Who is he giving to? <coughs> ¿Me entiendes? You cannot have a sacrificer unless there's someone you're sacrificing for. No puede haber sacrificio mm. sin, sin un objeto de sacrificio. Mm. That is Krishna. Y ese, ese mm. objeto es Krishna. But the nature of the enjoyer Pero la naturaleza del disfrutador is that by his enjoyment everyone is pleased. Es tal que a través de su disfrute todo el mundo rueda because everyone is is connected to him. He says, Aham Prabhu, everything comes from me. Hmm? Just like if you water the tree, where will you pour the water? There are so many flowers, so many frutas, muchas ramas, hojas, where will we put the water? See? Rays? Those rays. One place. Hmm? And what will happen? Nourishment will go everywhere. Hmm? Such is the nature of the center. Hmm? So Krishna makes very strong statements about himself, but he just happens to be the center. And tonight I was going to speak on this one verse. But because some of you, a number of you said you didn't have any familiarity with the Bhagavad Gita, I wanted to kind of bring you in a little bit. On <laughs> In this verse he says, Aham Sarvasya Prabhupada, I am the source of everything. This is a very central point to our particular tradition. There's a theological sequel to the Bhagavad Gita called the Bhagavatam. And uh, it said that there's a password for understanding that book. For understanding the, 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 the philosophical canvas. On which the, the, the singing of God or Krishna is performed and dancing. De, de, de baile y de canto de Dios eh, toma lugar. Do you remember the meaning that I gave you? Bhagavad Gita? ¿Se acuerdan el significado de Bhagavad Gita que les di? What does it mean? La canción de Dios. La canción de Dios. And with, uh, with the singing comes the dancing. Y con el cantar también mm. hay, hay mm. bailar. Mm. Baila. I said there's more to spiritual life than being eternal. There's a movement within eternality. Mm. You know the famous uh, with the German philosopher Nietzsche? He said if there's a God he will be a dancer. Mm. 
There is. And his name is Krishna. Hmm? Uh, there he, he, he is depicted as, as singing and dancing. Hmm? Simply jugando. Hmm? The implication of this is what? In order to play, you have to have some power. In other words, in order to take a vacation, you have to have some money in the bank. That is power. Entiendes? So if someone is only playing, it's all powerful. Krishna is only playing. Singing, dancing. Therefore, amongst different manifestations of divinity, if we analyze them, we see they are all telling us something about the divinity. Christ is speaking about the sacrificing capacity of the divinity. The Buddha is speaking about the wisdom of the divinity. Krishna's, Krishna's is, speaks to us about the romantic heart of divinity. It's very attractive. Mm -hmm. And this verse from Gita is saying that this playful Krishna is the source of all other forms of divinity. It's coming here in another form, that password to the book about Krishna's singing and dancing, the Bhagavatam. Here in this verse, the same the, the password, <coughs> the password, the sequel to this book is called the Srimad Bhagavatam. Say that. In this book, the Gita, Krishna is teaching these things about himself. In the Bhagavatam, <coughs> his life in transcendence is depicted <coughs> in poetry, his singing and dancing, mm. and all the possibilities there in eternity. Now, to understand that person, Krishna, you had to become acquainted with the philosophical canvas on which the art of his playing that we call Lila is drawn. Why? Because his play is very human-like. So how the... If, if God becomes very human-like, it may be difficult to distinguish him from another human. But if we are finite and God is infinite, 
Pero si somos finitos, si Dios es infinito. In order for us to be on intimate terms with God, para poder interactuar con Dios de manera íntima, the infinite will have to take a finite like appearance. El infinito ha de, tener, ha de, ha de tomar una forma que parezca finita. If I was to say, I am infinity and you are finite, you would say, oh my God. It doesn't bring you close to me. No, 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 But to understand that, Pero para esto, that he's human-like, but not human, with all the limitations of a human, con todas las mm -hmm. de ser we need some philosophical ground. So the, the basis to that philosophical canvas y la base de esta tela filosófica that is Krishna is too Bhagavan Swayam that Krishna is the source of all forms of divinity son estas palabras Krishna es tu Bhagavan Swayam que Krishna es la fuente de toda forma del divino the same idea is given in this verse here in, in the Gita la misma idea está proporcionada en este verso del Gita I am the source of all forms of divinity. He says this in two ways. He says, Aham sarvasya mata sarvam prabhartate. It seems a bit repetitious. Hmm? I'm the source of everything. Everything comes from me. So repetition may be good, important, <laughs> to make a point. But there's another way to think about it also. First he says, I'm the source of all the worlds. Or more so, I'm the source of all the Uh, generators of anything. It's like the man and woman can generate a child and, and there is thought in Hinduism to be partial manifestations of God that create y en el hinduismo se dice que hay expresiones parciales de Dios que son las que crean. There is a form of God that can be worshipped reverentially. Hay una forma de Dios a la que se adora con reverencia. That's not human-like in appearance. Que no parece tan, pare tan cercana a la realidad humana. And so on. Etc. Krishna is saying, I'm the source of all of them. Krishna dice, yo soy la fuente de todas estas formas. And the proof is I'm only playing. I am all-powerful. I have nothing to accomplish. Hmm? Nothing whatsoever. I'm living only for loving. I'm completely full. So I can give. 
I have nothing else to do. I have nothing to get, so I give. And I give myself. And how do I give myself? Matasavram Pabartate. I'm the source of everything. And everything comes from me. Everything comes from me, then. This means that from me, among other things, but most importantly, comes the example of how to love me. Hmm? By which you can know me. Hmm? To, to love me is to know me. Hmm? That means I am the source of different manifestations of divinity. And from myself comes a transformation of my love in the form of Radha. Radha Krishna Pranai Rikudhir Ladini Shakti Rasmad. Some of you may know the meaning. Hmm? Krishna transforms his own love such that the one Krishna who is supreme, El Krishna original, el supremo, becomes two. Se en dos. Radha and Krishna. Radha y Krishna. Krishna is the perfect object of love. Es el de amor. And Radha is the perfection of love. Y Radha es la And through Radha, he says, I teach others how to love me. I am the source of everything, and I am the source of, of, of how to know me, how to love me. I'm, I'm going to go over this kind of briefly. <laughs> we, it's a very juicy topic, but, <laughs> but if, I, if I go too much into it, some of you will be unfamiliar with the terminology. So I'm on. I have the brakes on a little bit here, but but uh, but mm, this. Uh, Radha is the is the is the the, the feminine uh, side of Krishna. Pero Radha mm. es la, que, la parte de Krishna. 
the personification of, of love. La personificación del amor. Mm. You cannot have an object of love without a lover. You can't have a teacher no puede haber un without a student. Somebody on the internet, on Facebook, some time ago made an announcement. I've decided that I'm, that I'm going to be a guru. I said, well, if anybody agrees with you, then maybe then it will, you know, it'll work. <laughs> get, a, get a student first. Mm -hmm. So, in, in order to bear, to be, for there to be a perfect object of love, there must be perfect love. I say Krishna transforms his love into the person of Radha. But this is not something that happens in time. <coughs> there are two complementary aspects of the same entity. Hmm? Let me explain it like this. Think of a fire. God is a fire. Hmm? So fire is one thing. But it is also made up of many things. It is a fire. It is has heat and light. It has sparks. It has smoke. Right? Without fire, there will be no smoke. No sparks. No heat, no light. Hmm? So God is like a fire. Hmm? But that fire has heat, light, sparks, and smoke. What is the smoke? Smoke is like matter. It's not very constructive in and of itself. You can't do much with smoke. Mm. Or it can't, it can't do much unto itself. Mm. And we, I said, that we are different from matter. How different? Like the difference between, difference between a spark and smoke. Big difference. Mm -hmm. But also, because a spark is very small, it can be covered by smoke. It doesn't have the power to dispel the smoke unto itself. But the smoke cannot put out the fire. The, the smoke cannot put out the spark either. Hmm? We are covered by 
illusion. Mm. Matter is like a machine. Mm. And we have been taken over by the machine. But we had to turn on the machine. Just like you, you have to turn on the television, then it can take over your life. Hmm. So we are the spark. Matter is, 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 this, is the smoke. Hmm. And Radha hmm, is the heat and light. Hmm. Radha is what we call bhakti. Hmm. This is another kind of shakti, power. The power of God. Smoke is a power of God. We are a power of God. And bhakti is a power of God. Hmm. In this world, the smoke is ruling everything. And we are always coughing. <laughs> hmm? and, and crying. <laughs> right? hmm? Hmm? In the eternal realm, heat and light is controlling everything. Heat and light. Light means knowledge. Luz quiere decir conocimiento. And heat means feeling. Y el calor representa el sentimiento. Feeling. Hmm? This feeling is love. Ese sentimiento es el de, del amor. But it is a, it is a wise love. Pero un amor sabio. Hmm? Hmm? The smoke is called maya shakti. El humo se llama maya shakti. We are called tatasta shakti. Nosotros and, and bhakti is called swarup shakti. It's, it's the very nature of Krishna to love, transformed into the person of Radha, the embodiment of love of Krishna. Mm-hmm. And when that influence of bhakti comes into our life, then we can experience wise love. Mm-hmm. We can enter into this, this uh, union of Radha and Krishna. Again, Radha, Krishna becomes Radha and Krishna. But there's not an event in time. We, Krishna is saying, I'm the source of everything. That's true. But if we say, what's the source of Krishna? Well, that is a stupid question, but <laughs> you just say... But we, but we could answer Radha. And what is the source of Radha? Krishna. What is the source of Krishna? Radha. Mm-hmm. 
Because, again, what is the source of the guru? The student. Mm -hmm. Right? What is the cause of the student? The guru? Mm -hmm. These two are one and different. At the same time. It's inconceivable. Inconceivable. <laughs> Inconceivable. Krishna is talking about this in this verse from the Gita. He says, everything comes from me. Even the way to love me comes from me. And So, the teacher in our tradition is, has a little bit of Radha in, in him or her, a little bhakti. Every devotee has a little bit of Radha in them. This Radha is the full face of love. So, the object of love that corresponds with her love is the most complete object of love. If the love is a little less intense, si el amor es menos intenso, then it will correspond with a slightly less intense object of love. So, as I said, there are different manifestations of divinity. There's the Jesus, there's the Buddha, and so on and so on. Muhammad. But what Krishna is saying is, out of all that, I am the whole thing. And he says that knowing that about me is one of the essential elements for taking up a method by which that can be experienced. If you want to love, you need two things. Perfectly, you need two things. You have to love without expectation of getting. But you also have to have a place where you can give the love that can take it all. If we try to love without any condition, something that doesn't even exist forever, we'll be frustrated. Right? Right? So, Krishna is saying that Knowing me to be the source of everything, one has one of the ingredients in place. For being a perfect lover. Hmm. Remember, he's teaching us how to be a lover. Hmm. And he says, and... I come to you hmm, as a guru. 
Hmm. Who is a manifestation of Radha, of Bhakti. Hmm. And I, I show you the way to love me. Hmm. Hmm. I exemplify the, the selfless, selflessness of love. So the two things, to give without expectation of return and to give in a place that can take everything. First he emphasizes, I am that complete taker. The supreme enjoyer. I only play. That's all. And he says, those who know that about me, they act in a certain way. They act in a certain way that brings them so close to me that the fact that I'm the source of everything is forgotten. It becomes secondary. They just love me as I am, hmm? just playing. Hmm? Indeed, in my full self, because I'm a lover, he says, I myself am conquered by love. If I love you, what will happen? Then you love me. So I might control you by loving you, but at the same time I will come under your control. Mm. There will be no problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Krishna, he doesn't look like he's the source of everything. He's appearing human-like. Hmm. He's only playing. And he's like that because he's completely subjugated by love. The love is bringing him on our terms, so to speak. Making him finite-like. That we finite beings might feel like he's one of us. This is a very charming idea. Let me make another point in this regard. We began by talking a little bit about the comparison between the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. In Christianity, the figure of Jesus touches our emotions. His crucifixion makes us feel a little guilty, a little fearful, a little obligated. So it touches our certain emotions within us. <coughs> creates a bond with him. Hmm? But in Krishna, 
If you study his person, he touches all the human emotions. All of all the human emotions, all the nuanced emotions of of of, of human uh, reality, are all touched by Krishna. If you hear the stories of Krishna, every one of your emotions of your human life will, will make a connection with him. There is no other form of divinity that, that affords this type of emotional bond. Hmm? And emotional bonds are the most powerful bonds that we have. So there are many stories about Krishna in the in the texts that that within eternity in the super subjective world the mystics are experiencing. As I said, it's not just eternal; there's something to do there also. It is said all the all the walking there is dancing. All the talking is singing. What must be the singing? What must be the dancing then? Such a place. Such a realm. Hmm. Again, impossible is not found in the dictionary there. And these experiences of Krishna arising in the being of those who have experienced themselves to be different from matter in the context of this culture of love of Krishna. <laughs> of loving Krishna. These descriptions touch all of the human emotions in a way that they, they, they create a bond with that divinity. You won't find this in any other form of divinity. I'm not criticizing any other form of divinity. I'm just distinguishing the form of Krishna. And the, the, what, uh, why... He says what he says here is true. <laughs> he is the source of all being. Uh, uh, from from an, from an aesthetic point of view also. He is taste, he says. Rasoham mapsukunteya, he says. I am taste. And in the Upanishad, it is said, the God, it is taste. Rasobai saha. Not just physical taste. 
but the personification of good taste. Sino la del buen gusto. The master of aesthetics, El de of beauty de mm. and charm, mm-hmm. which are the things that we are all driven by. We're talking about here a truth that is beautiful. Not a truth at the cost of beauty. Cost of beauty. Not a truth at the cost of beauty. The precio de beauty. Hmm? If I say to you, the world is here today, gone tomorrow, you should become detached. If, if I say to you, if you want eternal happiness, it can't come from things that are temporary. That's knowledge. Hmm. But it's not entirely beautiful. It's a little frightening. Hmm. Because even though things of the world are here today and gone tomorrow, they have a little charm to them. Hmm. There's a little beauty to the world. It comes from the most beautiful person. Hmm comes from the most beautiful person. Krishna is making a, a drawing on a canvas. This is his life in divine play in the subjective meditative world. And over here he has another canvas. And when he wants to change the color, he wipes it off over here. And then another color. Here. And then over here. Is it the spiritual world? This is the material world. It's like it's like graffiti. It looks like it's supposed to say something, but but does it? it, it <laughs> we feel like the world should be beautiful, but but it, it doesn't quite work. It, it, it doesn't all fit together into living happily ever, ever after. There seems to be some love, some beauty, some charm here. But we are told it is illusion. You have to leave it. It won't endure. And if you want enduring life, then you can't have it in relation to things that don't endure. That's true. But it's a truth that is not particularly beautiful, is profound, hmm? but it's not entirely beautiful. Hmm? In bhakti, 
in Krishna consciousness. We have a truth that is beautiful. Hmm? Beauty requires some, in, in love, love requires some movement. Hmm. Peace is one thing. Love is another. In peace, there may not be love. But in love, there will be peace and war. <laughs> that is the beauty of love. It can, it can, it can uh, harmonize all contradictory things. Krishna is teaching here a metaphysic of love, not simply about knowing. Mm. Know yourself. The first six chapters of the Gita. Just to prepare you to be a lover. Mm. And in love, there is so much ignorance too. <laughs> huh? How does it play out then in transcendence? First we learn Krishna is the source of everything. Even the source of how to worship him in the form of Radha. <laughs> Having that in place, Krishna says, those who know that, they worship me like completely. There's very nice words he says here. They worship me hmm, with wisdom, Buddha, Bhava Samanvita, and with feeling that is a following. Bhava Samanvita. Hmm? Samanvita means to be possessed, completely possessed. It also means in connection with. Hmm? Those who know me to be everything, hmm. they know me to, be to me then to be the source of how to love me. And follow that example. Hmm. They worship me wisely. They have some wit. Hmm. And they have feeling. And they have ladini hmm? and ecstasy hmm? and and they're completely possessed of this and it is a kind of love that constitutes a a a following hmm? Mm -hmm. Follow, it is, uh, following the example hmm, 
to simplify it, of Radha. Hmm? This we call Raganuga. Hmm. Following the Ragatmika. Hmm. If the fullest manifestation of which is, is Radha, the personification of perfect love for Krishna. They worship me like that. Hmm. And as a result of it, they know the full face of transcendental love. In which, as I said, all contradictory things are resolved. They have perfect knowledge which constitutes a kind of ignorance. <laughs> a divine ignorance <laughs> that causes them to be in a compact of love with Krishna such that they don't even know that he's God anymore. That is the ignorance. Or that is just a side thing, that he's God. It's like if a mother loves her son, her son becomes the president, and he says, thank you very much for everybody for voting for me. And I'd like to thank my mother for supporting me. Mother, come out here on the stage. And she says, oh, Barack Obama. My son. Okay. I'm the president. Uh -huh. That's a, that's a second thing. Mm. Yeah, some people think you're the president. Mm. But you are my son. Yes, that you're a president, that's good too. Mm. So they have the, this, these kind of feelings for Krishna. Mm. The highest knowledge mm. is love. Mm. And love, as I said, it, it, it contains all things. It, therefore, it contains ignorance. In a beautiful way. Mm. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> mm. In love, there is war and peace. In peace, there is no war. And not, and not necessarily love. Mm. We want peace and love. <laughs> Both things. Hmm? Hmm? We, we, we want peace. We don't want to be in war. War means that I'm struggling to exist. As the owner of things that don't belong to me. Hmm? That's how we began. Right? Our discussion. Hmm? We think something belongs to me, and out of that, a sense of identity is formed. 
y desde eso surge un sentido de identidad. And we fight to keep that. Y luchamos para mantenerlo. And we are losing. Y estamos perdiendo. Every battle. Toda batalla. And the whole war. Y toda la guerra. Hmm? To move away from that, we require some knowledge. We have to step back from the war. Hmm? We can understand I am consciousness, not matter, then I can have peace. I can understand that the differences between you and me, materially speaking, are false. You say you are Central Americans. I say I'm North American. That is false. Hmm? Hmm? Superficial. Superficial differences. Right? You say you're a woman, I say I'm a man. These are superficial differences. They can change. <laughs> What's her name? <laughs> men can become women. Women can become men. Hmm? Central Americanos can become North Americanos. Yo soy media y media. All this can change. What is it about us that cannot change then? That, on some level, we are all equal. So, on that level, we can find peace. We could say, well, we are all humans. But then we still fight with the animals. To be a human. So then we are all, all what? And we have to go deeper. So, so go very deeply, we find we are all consciousness. But if we are all consciousness, now we've done away with all differences. That's good, because they were superficial. Hmm? But Without any differences, Pero sin what's the capacity for loving? Ya no hay para amar. And movement. Y hmm? There's stillness. Hay una We're moving now because of the differences. Ahora nos a las I like this, Esto me gusta. so I go there. I don't like that, so I don't go there. Hmm? If I become detached, then I become still. If I do it away with the differences between you and me, then we're all one. So we can sit peacefully. Hmm? But we cannot love. Hmm? It may be very profound and true, but it's not very beautiful. 
we, we would rather stay in illusion <laughs> and find some semblance of beauty and some semblance of love hmm, than, than to attain Nirvishesh Brahma. Preferimos estar en la ilusión y tener una semblancia de amor que eh, estar en, en el Nirvishesh Brahma. Hmm. Hmm. So here Krishna is saying something much more profound. Pero aquí Krishna hmm. dice algo aún más profundo. He's saying there's a possibility of difference that does not compromise the unity. That there is love inside of knowledge. Or, excuse me, there is knowledge inside of love. Love is pregnant with wisdom. And so there's movement in transcendence. So there's movement in transcendence. Hay movimiento en la trascendencia. Hmm? The movement of love. Movimiento del amor. Love has, like I say, sometimes uh, in this world, we cannot rest until we find love. Como dije, en este mundo no podemos encontrar paz hasta que encontremos el amor. And when you find love, you can rest. Y cuando encontramos el amor, podemos descansar. For a minute. Por un minuto. Hmm. And then it has its own movement. Pero luego tiene su propio movimiento. Hmm. And it's up and down. Like a roller coaster. But you don't get off. Because it's more exciting than standing on the ground. Hmm. So, this is, this is the world uh, that Krishna is inviting us into. Mm. And this is the essence of Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Any question? Abre la puerta aquí. Ahí, para el baño. Sí. Dentro del contexto Vaishnava, ¿cómo se define la estética? How do you define aesthetics within the Vaishnava context? <coughs> we say that um, that that it is beautiful not to take, not to exploit. Decimos que bello es no Material life is exploitation, taking. <coughs> so the beginning of beauty is not to take. But the full face of, of beauty is, is to give. And full giving can be given to the person who can fully take, that is Krishna. And, and that giving is called rasa. This is aesthetic rapture. Hmm. 
It's uh, it's not much different than ordinary. Aesthetics means a sense of beauty. In order to explain the beauty of reality, Rupa Goswami used the language of drama and art and Indian aesthetics. And it explains the basically the psychology of of of, of love. And uh, and so that's a big subject, but um, that's why Krishna is the color that he is. Because Sham, the color Sham, is the color of romantic love. So just like we have co we have colors that are hot and cold. So in Indian aesthetics, every every emotion has a color. Mm. So if you study those aesthetics, then you could put together the the the, the, the perfect object of beauty. The thing that upon seeing was so beautiful that you would notice when you blinked. And for a moment, you lost the sight of it. Having something very valuable is best understood when we lose it. So it's so beautiful that if you can lose for just a moment, you feel it is the greatest loss. This is the picture of Krishna that Rupa Goswami has painted using the canvas and the paintbrush of Indian uh, aesthetics. It's called Ras, Ras, Ras Shastra. Hmm? And his explanations are powerful. Although they're limited, as any explanation of something that transcends explanation will be. His experience transcends his explanation. The explanation is like the table of contents to the book. You have to just kind of go into the book and write your own page. You have to become a page of that book. But the table of contents is very useful. 
the outline very be- very useful to us. Hmm? Hmm. Uh, because it's spoken by someone who has the experience. So the words, though incomplete, nonetheless have great power. So we shouldn't be put off by the fact that they have culture, certain cultural sensibilities. You might start thinking, oh, Krishna is Indian. God is Indian? Of course, India is is the mother of religion, it said, in the world. If God's going to appear on earth, he has to appear somewhere. (laughs) In fact, the teaching is he appears in different places to different extents. But the point here is that the explanation of Krishna and this meditative world, which is the real world, is very, uh, given by, say, for example, Rupa Goswami, is very, very profound. And so, the to to meditate on that description, even though it doesn't do justice to the reality. It's it's not to be taken entirely literally. But it has the power to to take us into that realm. Does that help? Okay. All right, so, yes. Muchas de las enfermedades que vive la gente hoy en día. Many of the diseases that people go through nowadays. No tienen un origen tan aparente. Don't have a very uh, apparent uh, origin. Porque se originan en emociones. Because they have an emotional cause. Realmente no existen. They don't really exist. Pero estas emociones de las personas. But these emotions that people have. Como el miedo. Like fear. Miedo a perder. La gente que supuestamente ama. The people that they supposedly love. Y que la gente que supuestamente ama. And that the people that they supposedly love. No se comportan como deberían. And fear that these people don't, believe, don't behave the way they should. Por ejemplo, la esposa sufre fibromialgia. For example, a, a, a wife would uh, suffer from fibromyalgia. Porque su esposo no se comporta como debería. Because his spouse doesn't behave the way he should. ¿Por 
porque tiene otras mujeres o no le dedica tiempo o no le lleva en el crucero o sufre porque su hijo está en drogas porque no se comporta como debería realmente y, ya su y las personas sufren I understand the point. So, ¿qué es la pregunta? El punto yo entiendo. How what? That, that I don't understand in relation to what he said. How do you teach people? Is He's it? a doctor. Si. Emotional diseases. How can you cure the people from those emotional diseases? We have to understand, I think. People are attached to other people? Yeah. Right. Well, first of all, I would say that, you know, many of these diseases that you're talking about are, are product of industrial um, society, um, uh, unhinged, so to speak. Uh, like, you know, like, it's okay to have a little industry, but, but I mean, when it's just... You know, well, I mean, you take industrial agriculture, for example. Excesses. There's no limits, you know. Has no. Mm -hmm. So, um, what uh, what we what we recommend is is that you create another model. Mm -hmm. And in 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 our modern industrial society. Um, um, a very simple thing would, would be very useful. <laughs> it's difficult to accomplish, though. But you have to start somewhere. You have to get the world to accept that, that, that there's something called consciousness and it's, it's not... It's not the brain. And that the purpose of life is to realize it. There may be some different methods to do that to one extent or another. But if the whole world would accept this simple point, it would, it would transform so dramatically. See, people are adrift. Adrift. Modern society is, is, is an existential crisis. Fifty-year-old men and women are re reinventing themselves. What do they call that? 
what is the name for that they call it? Reinventing, but um, anyway, you're going to stay on the point. Hmm? It's something you're supposed to go through in adolescence. Hmm? But you're going through it again at, at 50 years old. Hmm? Hmm? Yes, midlife crisis, something like that. We got a midlife crisis now. People are adrift. There is there is no co concerted understanding of life's meaning, and so it's very problematic. And and many of these diseases are coming from this. Something something like that. So, of course, you know, what can you do? You you, you want to change the whole world, but. Um, uh, anyway, start somewhere. So I would suggest that you you teach some of these principles to your 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 patients. Even modern psychology teaches that some healthy detachment is 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 good. Um, so you know, I, yes, I said I, I, I would uh, I'd say you know, doctor, uh, cure yourself. If you can embrace these teachings, apply them in your life, you will be more than a doctor for people. You will be, you know, best way to teach is, is by example. So our idea is to, is to set a different example. This is very interesting to listen to, but it's quite a challenge, actually, to put in place. Hmm. Many people will listen, but a few people will change. And the, and the measure of the nature of the, the extent of the change that we is being required is 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 considerable. So I appreciate that you're a doctor and you want to help people. It's, it's very that's a very noble profession. It's important, and your question is important. Hmm? And your question is important. But my answer to you, I don't mean to sound dismissive, but my answer is, doctor, cure yourself. That is a, be an example. That will speak louder than me up here sitting here talking. <laughs> if you can identify intellectually with the concepts, then don't make this just a form of intellectual entertainment. Hmm? Hmm. 
Let it go into your heart and bring about a change. As Gandhi used to say, be the change that you want to see in others. Okay. Yes. yes I'm, I'm assuming the answer is really long, but we talked about the first six chapters and about the middle six chapters, but what are the last six chapters about? I know the answer is long, well, I assume it, but... Well, I'll give it a short answer, a very short answer. The, the first six chapters are kind of about the the, psycholo the yogic psychology, which includes the nature of the self, mm -hmm. and and how the the self has the capacity to be a lover. And then the middle chapters are that are the theology. And the last six chapters are more uh, like philosophy. So you have kind of psychology, theology, philosophy. And so um, the metaphysics are, are, are given in greater detail in the last six chapters. You should get a copy. Yeah. I translated the copy and made a commentary on it. I don't... It's being translated into Spanish now. But um, if you want to get a copy, then you can talk with Sanatan there in the door. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank all of you very much for coming. It's been very, very helpful for me to have a chance to speak with you. So you want to chant with us for a little bit? Chant Hare Krishna? Utama Sloka? <coughs> Bring a seat for Utama Sloka.